exciting stuff is happening. Um, we have got the Wild Game Feast coming up in about 40 days. Um, about 40 days, this room will turn into uh, a taxidermy studio and a place to eat. And that'll be a whole bunch of fun. Uh, if you don't have tickets yet and you want tickets, see me. Uh, we also need a bunch of help. We need folks for the grill crew. Um, if you want to be part of that, see Marty Davis. Uh, if you, we need setup and teardown folks. We need kitchen crew. Um, we need uh, we need some folks to bring taxidermy. If if uh, your wife is desperate to get that stuff out of her house uh, for a couple nights, she can we can answer that prayer for her and uh, have it here uh, into from uh, from from Friday night to Sunday morning. And um, uh, we also need you to invite and bring people. Uh, ideally, folks that don't know Jesus yet, who will get an opportunity to hear the gospel clearly explained in the context of an event that they will enjoy for sure. So, tickets are 20 bucks. Uh, we still have a bunch left, uh, although people are buying them seven and eight at a time, so I don't know how many we, we will have after this week. But in any case, if you want to go, it's going to be a good time, and I encourage you to, uh, to see me afterward. Uh, to, uh, to get plugged into that. But we are going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians today. We're continuing our study through that book. And um, as you make your way there, I just want to tell you a quick story. One of my favorite movies of all time stars Holly Hunter, Craig T. Nelson, and Samuel L. Jackson. Now you, you may like, what movie is this? And I just want to tell you, it is the greatest superhero movie of all time. And you never see their faces. And that is because the movie is animated. And it is called The Incredibles. And it is uh, fantastic. It's a, it's a movie about superheroes whose superhero work has gotten them placed in a government relocation program where they all have to work normal jobs, and hide their true identities, and by putting that way, you know, when you used to save the world on the regular, it's kind of boring. Like, now I deal with insurance claims, and I used to ride around in a rocket car, right? And um, anyway, it's hard for some of these former superheroes to, uh, to adjust to, and so a couple of them get together every week, and they tell their wives they're going bowling, uh, but one of them, uh, Mr. Incredible, and uh, his buddy Frozone, uh, go out and do what they do every Wednesday night when they're supposed to be bowling, and they listen to the police scanner to find out if there's any crimes in progress that are happening nearby that they can go intervene in and be superheroes at least for one night of the week, just like in the old days. But one night, Frozone looks over at his buddy and says, why are we doing this, man? Why are we doing this? Nobody asked us. And to be honest, I'd rather go bowling. What if for once, we actually did what our wives think we're doing just to shake things up? And it's a hard question that's asked with a lot of love by a friend who is tired of lying to his wife, 
right? Like, man, I'm tired of sneaking around doing stuff that I'm not supposed to be doing, and I'm definitely tired of lying to my wife about it. Why not actually do what we're say what we say we're doing for novelty's sake, if nothing else? Right? Now, I doubt very many of us are lying about uh, our secret superhero work to our spouses. Um, but just as an aside, if you are hiding or lying uh, about something to your spouse, now is a good time uh, to confess and repent. Amen? Today is as good day as any to, to start that process. But a lot of Christians, I think, do, in fact, lie to themselves and to other people about their actual view of Scripture. Because on the one hand, they affirm everything in the Bible is God's Word. If God says it, I believe it, and that's the end of it, right? But on the other hand, they refuse to submit to God's Word where it rubs them the wrong way. Right? I don't like that passage. I don't like what it says. Right? And I'm reminded of the old evangelist Billy Sunday who was told, you know, Billy, you're preaching about the Bible is rubbing people, is rubbing the fur the wrong way. He said, well then turn the cat around. <laughs> right? And uh, that is the reality of what we all need to do. We don't need to go in search of so-called Bible teachers who will tell us that the Bible actually says what we want it to say and means what we want it to mean rather than what it actually says. What we need to do is instead of looking for loopholes to submit our hearts to even the words hard teaching and try to obey God fully. Amen? What if instead of seeing the Word as rules and restrictions to keep us from doing what we want, if we instead embraced it with joy as love letters from God who is passionately pursuing us and who wants to rescue us from ourselves and our sins and deliver us to the life that is truly right? What if, in, in other words, we actually responded to God's Word as if it was what it is? The Word of God. Just to shake things up. So ponder that question with me as we read God's Word. And if you're able, if you'd stand, I'm going to read from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 beginning in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it, what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them last. Let's pray. 
God, our Heavenly Father, help us today to embrace joyfully every part of Your Word as Your Word. And to not only hear what it has to say, but to do what it commands. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've studied this chapter so far, what we've seen is that the apostles have modeled for the Thessalonians and for us what disciple-making ministry looks like. Because they've done it. And we saw that they were bold in proclaiming the truth, that they walked in integrity and holiness because they were serving the Lord, and they weren't serving for self-promotion or self-greed or or uh, self-interest, but they practiced gentleness. And they loved them enough to share not just the Word of God, but their life. Remember? We loved you so much that we shared with you not only the Gospel of God, but also our very lives. Right? They got into life together. They saw The Thessalonians saw the apostles work hard and exhort the believers like good fathers exhorting their own children to encourage them to grow in their faith. And so in every way, the apostles have set a good example of godliness and in ministry and life for these brand new Christians. They have showed them. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Watch me. Do what I do. Is their example. And so having godly disciple makers, though, is only half the equation, isn't it? Because unless someone is actually willing to follow Jesus and to accept exhortation and encouragement and gentle correction at times, discipleship will always fail. Having somebody who is willing to show you what to do is great. But you have to actually do it. Amen? You have to actually willingly receive the instruction and correction and encouragement along the way. If you just sit there and go, you know, that all sounds really good. I'm glad that you're doing that. Praise God for you. <laughs> How much impact is that going to have in your life? The answer is not much, right? In fact, immaturity spiritually is going to be the inevitable result of having a good example that you do not follow. Right? But thank God that was not the outcome of the apostles' ministry in Thessalonica. When these guys came preaching the word there, how did these Thessalonians respond? Well, you can look at what the text says. They responded like they had found the treasure hidden in the field. Amen? They got the gospel and they went, Hallelujah! Where has this been all of my life? I have needed this. And they received the gospel and it transformed them. It transformed them to such a degree that, they had a, that the, their neighbors all had a riot to get rid of the apostles because we don't want any more of those people that have been so transformed that they quit practicing idol worship and quit, quit, quit in, engaging in worship of the emperor and all the rest of that. Those people are a danger and a threat to the fabric of our society. We can't have that. Get rid of them. 
The Thessalonians received the gospel and it was transforming. And so Paul says, and the other apostles here writing the Thessalonians say, we thank God constantly that when you received the Word of God, you received it as what it really is. It's God's Word. That this isn't the ideas of men spewing ideas out of their own heads. You know, some people think that's what the Bible is, right? That that there were just some a bunch of Jewish guys from various places, various times. They like sat on a mountaintop somewhere, saw a sunset, you know, maybe ate a burrito, and they went, "Oh, I penned it, right? I got to write Romans down." You know, that's not how it went. Peter says it this way: that men spoke from God as they were driven along by the Holy Spirit, like sails on a ship. That the Holy Spirit so filled them that what was written was the Word of God. Men spoke from God as they were directed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and therefore it carries inherent and unchanging authority and full sufficiency to direct our lives about everything to which it speaks. And just so nobody misses the point, if you're a Christian and you want to follow Jesus fully, there is no alternative response to God's Word. Amen? There is no alternative response. You can't go, well, you know, uh, when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, I like that. When I read instruction in in the epistles, though, about about this other thing, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Right? The same Spirit of God inspires every part of the Scriptures. Yes, including Leviticus. Yes, including Second Chronicles. Right? All parts of the Scripture come to us by the Spirit of God and are the Word of God. And if you start picking and choosing only the parts of the Word of God that you like, and you treat the rest as the Word of men, then pretty soon you're going to be cast adrift with no sure foundation for anything. You can't even know who Jesus is or whether faith in Him grants salvation like the Bible says it does. In fact, you become just as lost as you were before hoping without any basis in truth whatsoever that what you believe is right. But when you receive the Word of God as what it really is, it is your firm foundation for everything else that you need to grow to maturity in Jesus. See, in the Word, God speaks to you. When you respond back to Him in prayer, you talk to Him, right? And this is the the foundation of your relationship. God speaks to you, you speak back to Him, and you carry on at, at a very basic level. That is what a relationship with God looks like. It looks like reading, reading the Word and prayer. And then, because God loves us, He puts us in a group of people who are doing the same thing so that we can all encourage one another in that and celebrate and worship together for mutual encouragement and help called a church, right? But your relationship is corporate as well as individual, but at the root of it is the Word of God and, and, 
and you're talking to God in your prayer. Right? Uh, and so, so we have a foundation in the Word for clear communication from God that always speaks truthfully about Him, about all things. And so, you always have to come to the Word like you're encouraged to do here, embracing it as what it really is, as the Word of God. And when you do, it transforms your life and it even redeems suffering. It even redeems your suffering. There are huge benefits to us from God's Word when we come like this. The end of verse 13 reminds us that God's Word is at work. You see that? The Word of God which is at work in you believers. If you're a believer in Christ, then the Word is working on you. And it's working in you. Becoming a Christian requires a response to the Word proclaimed. Amen? Uh, no one ever became a Christian because they saw somebody act like one. They have to hear the Gospel come out of someone's mouth. Right? And when they hear the Gospel, then they believe. Does your testimony give credibility to the Gospel you proclaim? Yes. Is that important? Yes. But... That is not sufficient to lead anybody to faith in Jesus. What they need is the Word of God proclaimed to them. How will they believe in whom they have never heard? Amen? So don't, don't just act like a Christian. You have to actually speak the Gospel to people. And every person who becomes a Christian becomes a Christian in response to the Word proclaimed. But the Word doesn't stop its work there. It continues to work and to transform. And as, as the indwelling Spirit of God that comes into your life as you become a Christian begins to work in you, the way He works is through the Word. I don't know, I don't know if, you, if the rest of you all have this experience or not, but I can tell you what my experience is. When I read my Bible, whether that's at church or at home, I have a chair that I sit in. I love my chair. It reclines. It's got a lamp right here. Okay, I can plug in my phone there, which is great because I read my Bible on my phone in the morning. Right? I'm just reading plan and I'm going through the Scripture. And every time as I'm reading the Scripture, what I get is, folks, 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 like, here's a place that you need to trust me. Here's a place where you need to repent. Here's a place where you need to be transformed yet to look more like Jesus. Right? What am I getting? I'm getting the Spirit of God jabbing on me in response to the Word. The Word is working in me just like it's supposed to. Because the idea is, is, that, is that God gave His Word to make us look like the Son of God. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us look like the Son of God in order that we might glorify the Father who is God. Amen? And nowhere is that transformation by the Word and by the Spirit more apparent than it is in suffering. And that's what these verses, verse 14 through 16, are all about. They're about people who are suffering. 
Uh, if you read in 1 Corinthians about the collection being taken uh, for the saints in Jerusalem, you know why they need a collection taken for them? Because they have suffered persecution. They have lost their jobs. Some of them have lost their homes. Many of them have been disowned from their families because of their belief in Jesus. And so they need support and help. And then Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians about the people in Macedonia. Who's he talking about? The Thessalonians. Who out of their extreme poverty gave generously to support these Christians over in Jerusalem. Why do they have extreme poverty? For the same reason. And so he says, he says, you became imitators of the churches of God and Jesus Christ that are in Judea. You suffered the same things from your own countrymen, that is from Gentiles, your Gentile neighbors, as they did from the Jews there, who killed both the prophets and the Lord Jesus and drove us out, meaning us, meaning the apostles. Anybody remember where Paul and Silas and Timothy were being launched on their missionary journeys from? Antioch. Why isn't it Jerusalem? Because of persecution in Jerusalem that scattered the church from this group of 5,000 people meeting in the temple to little bitty groups meeting all over. Persecution is part of the deal. And, and so the thing is, when you're suffering, do you know what you need to know? One of the things you need to know? You need to know not just that God is sovereign, although that's fundamental. You need to know that God is sovereign over your circumstances. But you also, one of the things that's really comforting to know when you're in pain is that none of this is meaningless. That it's connected to a bigger story that you're a part of. It's not just, Oh, hey, you happen to be ran, running, walking down the street, and you, boom, you know, got hit by a car. Oh, well, we're sorry. No, it's a, it's a part, you're part of a bigger story. You're part of it. If you're being persecuted, you are suffering the same kind of things as happened to the prophets, the same kind of things that happened to the apostles, the same kind of thing that happened to the early church, the same kind of thing that happened to Jesus himself. Because remember, we follow a suffering and crucified Messiah. Amen? And if that is true, and it is, then we should expect and regard as normal that we will suffer sometimes for that reality. Amen? James says it this way. Do not think that your suffering is something strange happening to you. Right? In other words, y'all, this is normal. This is normal. And you are connected to this bigger story. Because when God intends to save people, one of the ways that that happens is honestly through the suffering of His people who proclaim the Gospel. I was in India, as you know, the end of October or the end of September, first part of October. And we're way up in the mountains. In the, you know, in the jungle near the Himalayas. We, we're in the foothills that are only like 6,000 feet. Right? And uh, 
if you if you ever fly over the Himalayas, it's wild because you look out your window and there are mountaintops that are even with your airplane. Now that's cool, right? You're at 30,000 feet, so is the mountain that you're looking out on. That's pretty amazing, right? This is like some of the most remote places in the world. You fly into an airport and then you drive down a road that at its best is charitably described as a road because there are always mudslides down these mountains over the road. And they're, they're going to have yellow iron there clearing stuff out so you can drive down it down this two track in this little car. Knowing that if a mudslide hits, you're going down to the bottom of that thing. Right? Remote area. And you meet all these Baptists. That's normal. It's normal. It's normal. Par for the course. Something we should expect to happen. It's not strange. It's not weird. It's normal. If someday Christianity is outlawed in this country, I pray that day is a long time in the future. But if someday it comes here, guess what it will be? Normal. Everything we've been experiencing up to now in our country's history has been abnormal. Normal for Christianity to be played as an away game continually. It also, let me encourage us with this. Um, that suffering for the gospel is proof you belong to Jesus. Part of what he tells them here, he says, you became imitators of the churches in Judea. You know what he's telling them? Your faith is just like theirs. You really belong to Jesus. You do, in fact... if. You know, nobody suffered, I don't know if you know this, but nobody suffers martyrdom and persecution and imprisonment and so forth. Nobody does that willingly for something they believe to be false. Or know to be false. Amen? You only do that if you actually believe in the things you profess. So suffering for the Gospel is proof you belong to Jesus. And also to help them and us to understand that their suffering is not just random misfortune. It's part of God's redemption story. It's, it's part of helping us to understand our suffering in context, right? This is just God is using to bring people to Himself. What God is doing to bring salvation to the world, and because of that, it's worth it for us. People watch how you deal with stuff. Even if it's not suffering for the gospel, even if it's just suffering in the normal course of your life, right? My wife died. How do I deal with that? Now that I'm all alone. I could ask my father-in-law about that. He buried my mother-in-law a week ago Friday. And I could wish my in-laws on anybody. They are wonderful people who treated me like I was their son. But you could ask him, how do you deal with that suffering? And he would tell you, you cling to Jesus. And when Sunday comes, you go to church and you worship God. And your neighbors watch you 
and they see you do that very thing. And they go, you know what? Faith in Jesus makes a difference. Right? Makes a difference when it matters most. One more thing we need to see is verse 16. We need to see this too because it's meant for our encouragement. You see this bit about wrath? And people, when they read about God's wrath, they go, oh, I don't like that. But let me explain this to you. This is there for your encouragement and for mine. Because one of the things that you want to know is that when you suffer unjustly, that God sees that. And He's going to eventually do something about that. Amen? Lord, I either save this person or judge them, one or the other. And I don't care which. <laughs> right? If I am being imprisoned and beaten every day for the cause of Christ, I either want my jailer to come to Christ or I want him to face judgment before a holy God. God says here that that will in fact happen. That God takes note of our suffering and who inflicted it. And he, His judgment will not sleep. Okay? So if you're one of those believers in Christ in South Sudan back 15 years ago where Islamic raiders came into your village and chopped off your arms because you would not renounce your faith in Jesus, God saw that. And God's judgment does not sleep. He is patient. He is gracious. He forgives those who repent. But those who do not repent will experience His wrath. Amen? When women are raped and their children are killed in front of them for the cause of Jesus in places all around the world, God sees that. And He will judge. And that ought to encourage us, as a matter of fact. That one way or the other, either through the suffering of Jesus, which paid for their sin if they repent, or through their judgment, God will deal with that. Amen? So, that's a good thing. Um, in fact, Paul says it's already happening. The Jewish leaders who oppose the Gospel and the apostles were all opposed from their positions within 40 years. God put Herod directly to death in his own palace. Eaten by worms in his own palace. You can read the story in the book of Acts. Pontius Pilate died in exile and shame. It's worth remembering and being encouraged by that because when you're powerless to stop someone else from putting their boots on your face, you want to know that God sees and brings justice. And He does. In this life or the next, God will bring justice. So, uh, how do we apply this text to us today? A couple things important for us to know. Number one, embrace God's Word as His Word. Because it will transform every part of your life, even your suffering. Let me underline that. 
for us so we don't forget. Live according to God's Word. It is the only way to experience any joy that lasts on this planet. I am not as seasoned as some of our citizens here in this room. But I know this from 49 years on this planet. Life is hard. It's hard. And it's harder than it has to be if you refuse to trust God and obey His Word. Somebody told me once, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's true. If you're going to be stupid and reject God's Word, you better be hard as nails. Because life is going to get a lot harder than it has to be. Amen? And sometimes I confess to you that I have, that I have obeyed God's Word after I have exhausted the other alternatives. And it has hurt. Right? Like I got tired of being smacked in the face by the rake I have been continually stepping on, so I've decided to repent. Right? But here's the reality. Every joyless and miserable circumstance in my life was almost always due to my refusal to trust, trust God and obey His Word. To embrace God's Word is what it really is. So don't be as thick-headed as me. Amen? This is basic to your understanding as a Christian, but it's also vital to your joy. Embrace God's Word as God's Word. Trust Him and obey it. And that is joy. And the opposite of that, there's a lot more misery than there has to be in a life that's already difficult. Remember, too, if you suffer, your suffering's not in vain. It's part of God's redemption story. It's normal. It's expected. It's proof of your salvation. And it's, and it's a reality that you're part of a story that's bigger than you. It's part of the process that God uses to bring people to the Gospel and to bring people to Himself that He might save them. Jesus suffered. The first churches suffered. The prophets suffered. The apostles suffered. God's message is never popular. It's never well received. There's always going to be opposition from the rulers and authorities and principalities and powers of this world, both earthly and supernatural. So don't be surprised if this happens to you. Because nothing surprising is occurring, but it means that God is using you to advance His kingdom, and that is a wonderful privilege. Amen? So when suffering for Jesus comes, if it comes, then do what the apostles did. Rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray and let's sing and let's eat. All right, so let's rejoice in all these things. Uh, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word and it, it is like treasure hidden in a field because through it we find the treasure above all treasures. We find Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us a new life. Father, help us to receive Your Word as Your Word. Help us to suffer well, rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for Your name. Help us to see ourselves not as when we suffer in pain, not as people who are just 
having the bad stuff of life happen to us, but as people who are suffering, that we might become more like Jesus and might be used of you to advance your kingdom. Father, may we proclaim your glory now by our lips and out of our hearts and with our lives as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.